My subject this morning is the new covenant and the new life. Last week I talked about a better way to live, and I want to continue this morning to discover what we were talking about the new covenant. We found that it solved an Old Testament problem. It, the new covenant solves an Old Testament commitment. It was their failure to remain faithful. That's what happened in the Old Covenant. And it would be the new covenant that would cause God's people to remain faithful even when in their own strength they failed God over and over again. The Jews tried their very best to keep the law, but the harder they tried, the more difficult it became and the more they failed. God gave the law to the Jews originally, and the Gentiles were never under the law. Now, the early Christians, Peter being one of them, they tried to get the Gentiles under the law, but they were never under the law. And then at Christ's death, the new covenant was ushered in for both the Jews and the Gentiles. God's message for the new covenant was that God's grace and his righteousness, his imputed righteousness through faith would be a gift of God. Now, there's not too many people that look at that, that Christ's righteousness given to us as a gift is something that we can really experience. They believe that you have to get your life in order, that you have to do certain things, and then maybe if you try hard enough, you'll become righteous. But you are as righteous as you will ever be this morning, right here and now. You'll never get any more righteous than what you are right now. Now, some people think, oh, that I'm, that I'm in a bad shape, if that's the case. But that is the case, and we're going to find out as we go along. In the Old Testament, they saw themselves through a veil of shame. It was their, their repeated failure that caused them to be shameful and to want to try to fix their behavior. And so we have a lot of Christians today who are doing the very same thing. But through God's grace, God doesn't see us that way, that we have to fix our behavior. He doesn't need for us to see ourselves in that way, too. We are called to trust him, to trust him even in the midst of our erratic, maturing behavior. And so let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews 8. For finding fault with them, he says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Pretty strong language. 
But here God is saying, you've tried to live your life, you've tried to obey the laws, and you found out that it didn't work. So I will make a new covenant, different from the old. The, what, this one is about our faithfulness. It's not about your faithfulness. This new covenant is about God's faithfulness. Now let me repeat that again. This is not about your faithfulness. This new covenant is about God's faithfulness. And this new covenant encompasses everything. Everything that God has done and accomplished for you and me. The new covenant covers everything. The Bible says, if we, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. This is 2 Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So the new covenant is about God's faithfulness, not our faithfulness. We need to keep that in mind as we go through. In Hebrews 8.10, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So here we have a new covenant that is completely different. God is going to give the believers a desire. He's going to give them a desire to obey him, to enjoy him, and to live with him. So how? The Bible says that Christ lives in you. It's our hope of glory, it says. So Christ lives in you is how. And no matter what you're going through, he's going to go through it with you. He lives in you and his desire is to express his life through you. Now, notice he says, I will be your God. He is not saying that I should be your God. He's not saying that I will help you be your God. He says, you are, you are, I am your God. You are mine. I am your God. Listen, you do know God. No matter what you're going through, he guarantees you that he will be with you, in you, for how long? Forever. Guarantees it. And the Bible says here, and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizens and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard many, many times, I've heard a quote from the Old Testament, that their blood will be on your hands. If you don't go out and tell somebody, if you don't go out there and tell them, it's almost like if salvation depends, their salvation depends on you and me. And the Bible says here, and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizens and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. I love this scripture. For all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. 
Now, because ye, this whole concept of Christ living in you is the reason that you know. Now, it may be that some of you think that you have some responsibility in, in this scripture here. That it's up to you to do something. But the Bible is telling you to relax and do nothing. Because God is about to do everything. And then he says, for all will know me. All will know me. Now, you do know him. Now, you might haven't, maybe you haven't put the whole puzzle together, but you do know him. That's what the Bible says. He has always been within you. Now, here we are, the Christians today, they are pleading and begging for God's presence in themselves. They're pleading and asking God, fall upon me, fill me with your spirit. They are asking for something they already have. And that's true in so many, in many of our, our doctrines today. From the least of them to the greatest of them. Everyone is equal. Everyone is equal. Whether you are a theologian or whether you're a nine or ten year old little boy and girl sitting in a pew. Everybody is equal. There's no difference. We're all equal. It's sort of like the parable of the workers in the vineyard. They all were paid the same. We are all equal. All of us. And the one thing that we have in common, and it's recorded in Hebrews 8.12, for I will be, their, I will be merciful to their, in, in, <laughs> I can't even say it now, inquiries, and I will remember their sins, their sins no more. All right. Here we have it. I don't know how it can get any plainer. I will remember their sins no more. Now, <clears throat> why does he say that he will remember their sins no more? If we go to, to Hebrews 9.22, it says... Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So how much forgiveness is there without the shedding of blood? There is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So when Christians who think that they need more forgiveness because of the things that they have done, more forgiveness for their sins, then what Jesus has already provided at the cross, what would have to happen? Well, Jesus would have to die again. We have once and for all forgiveness. I know that there's a lot of people who do not like that. They do not like to hear it. They like to think that they have to keep up with their sins, begging, pleading God to forgive them. But you are a forgiven person. You live in a state of forgiveness. You don't have to beg God to forgive you. He's already taken care of that 2,000 years ago on Calvary. All we need to do is simply agree with sin and thank him for what he did 2,000 years ago 
when he took away the sins and he remembers them no more. Now, some of us were brought up to believe that there's going to be a judgment day and that we're all going to have to appear before the judgment day. And we're all going to have to give an account of our lives. And in fact, now it's popular to believe we have two judgments. One to get the wicked out of the way and then the other was for the, to, to give out rewards. But that's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible is saying. So listen to Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, past tense. We, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, of transgressions, and according to the riches of his grace. Now, I'm well aware that someone may be thinking, well, that sounds great. That sounds good. I don't have to worry about my sins. If I sin, they're already forgiven, whether I confess them or not. Well, that sounds good, but um, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand that I'm not living the way that I should. And you could be thinking that what I need to do is to get serious with God and clean up my act. This is what happens in a lot of churches today where you make an altar call, and I was an evangelist, I know exactly what that feels like and what it looks like. You make an altar call, if nobody comes forward, well then you change that to rededicating your life. And that's when some people are sitting in the pew thinking about, okay, I have messed up, I've, I've, I'm, I'm living in a way that I shouldn't be, so what I'm gonna do is I'm going to get serious with God. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to give my life to Christ anew. I'm going to start all over. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start to pray more. I'm going to start to spend more time with God. Uh, and then God will know that I'm serious. Now that he knows that I'm serious, now I can start focusing on building a relationship with him. And this is exactly backwards. This is not the gospel, never will be. It's backwards. You know God from within. You know him from within. So let's go over it again. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... The Bible says you were born again. You were born of God, born of the Spirit. You became a child of God. And it was Ezekiel that promised it. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This was a prophecy from Ezekiel that would happen when the Messiah would come. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then in in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Now here it is, just as plain and simple as could be. Here's what happened. God performed when, listen, we are responders. God is the initiator in everything pertaining to our spiritual life. 
We do not initiate it. God is the initiator. We are the responders. God revealed himself to us. We responded. And we were born again. Born of the Spirit. Born of God. And God performed a surgery. He took out that stony heart. And gave us a new heart of flesh. And then when he gave us that new heart of flesh, he saturated it with the spirit of God. And you have a new spirit, a new heart, brand new. And that heart does not sin. That heart does not sin. Paul says that I don't know, I can't figure it out, I don't understand what's happening to me, but the things I think of, I, I, I know I shouldn't be thinking about them. The things that I do, I know I shouldn't be doing. But then he puts up his hands, he says, but it's not me. And he was absolutely correct. It's not him, and it's not you. Paul identifies it as the, the sin that, that reigns within, that dwells within. In other epistles, he calls it the flesh. So that two things that causes us to sin, the flesh and the spirit that dwells within. And so we misunderstand the process. Now, you have heard Christians say, and I've had a lot of people say in Bible studies and everything, they'll say, you know, you're right. I, I, I believe that. I've always believed that. I don't know that I've ever heard it. Um, I don't know that if I ever read it. But yeah, I, somehow, yeah, so I, I believe that. It's true, yeah. Well, some people say that I've got it up here now. I've got it up here. I read the scripture. I saw the scripture. And now... What I need to do is get it in here. Get it in my core. That's what I need to do. That is wrong, wrong, wrong. You already have it within you. The moment that you were born again, you received a new heart. You have it within you. You now have to get it up here. And the Bible says the way you do that is what? By the renewing of your mind. Now what is the renewing of your mind? Some people think it's just reading the scripture. Some think it's just spending time in prayer. Did you know that when this was written. In 2 Timothy when he, when, when he wrote this. That 97% of the people were illiterate. They couldn't read. You and I can read. We have the whole Bible. But they 97% couldn't read. Now think about that. They only had maybe one epistle, one letter, maybe two. And they would, they would go to the temple, they'd gather themselves together, and somebody who could read would read that epistle, would read that letter. And it would remind them It's called the renewing of your mind. 
they would remind him. That's exactly what we are doing here this morning. We are renewing our mind. That's exactly what happens in a Sunday school class. We are renewing our mind. In 1 John 12 and 13, it says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been, past tense, your sins have been forgiven. Notice how he starts this. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven. So you can get that out of the way. You don't have to worry. You don't have to focus. You don't have to think that you're a dirty person. You don't have to do any of that. You just need to believe. You just need to renew your mind that I'm writing to you. Every time I pick up the Bible, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm reading. I'm writing to you, Gary. I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven and for my name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. What does he mean by here? The Bible says that you were dead in your transgressions and then you became alive. That was your new beginning. That was your new birth. You got it from the very beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. Every single one of us have a knowledge of God. And it comes from within. Every child of God knows him at a certain level. As an evangelist, as a counselor, as a pastor, I've heard so many times people would say, got it, got it. Yes, I understand it. You know, <clears throat> I believed it, now I got it. And the reason that you have it is because if it's God's truth and Christ is living in us, Christ will confirm it, that it is truth. Now, I'm not talking about just picking up the Bible, reading the Bible, and reading something, and you say, oh, that's truth. I'm not talking about, as I mentioned, the red-letter Christians who want to do everything that Jesus said is in red because it can become very dangerous. I'm not talking about that. It's not so much what the Bible says. It's what the Bible means. And that's what we need to focus on. What does the Bible really mean? No matter what some people go through, you'll notice that they never, they never lose sight that God loves them. That's something that God has confirmed in them. Because God, God is love. Well, let's see what Jesus did for you, but to you. This is Jesus' prayer in John 17. Notice he says, he starts out, I do not ask on my behalf of these alone. These alone, who are these alone? His apostles. Says, I'm not asking only for them, but for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and me. We believe, that we believe in him through their word, what they wrote in the Bible. And so it says here that they may all be one, even as you Father, are in me and I in you, 
that they also may be in us. I want to take just a moment for us to really see what the scripture is saying. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, you don't see that often in the scripture. Us. Us means the Trinity. Us means the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we are never alone. What we see here is, is absolutely amazing. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a oneness with the Trinity. Now, I live down in Springfield, West Virginia. And I live alone. And some people ask me, a lot of people have asked me, how do you like living alone? Well, the truth is, I'm never alone. There's four of us down there. There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and myself. Now, many times I have felt the pain of missing my wife, Judy. And I have to remind myself that I will never be alone. There will always be the four of us, always. We have God living inside of us. We have the Trinity. The Bible says, and this is absolutely amazing and people find it so hard to believe, but the Bible says that we are partakers of, of, of Christ's nature. We are actually partakers of divine nature. Now you think about that. We have the Trinity that dwells within us. Now it we all know that the Bible says that Christ lives in you and that's the hope of glory and we, and we all understand that Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit. But here in this scripture, it tells us that the Father, Jesus says, the Father and I are one, just the same way we are. And so there's a Father, the Son, we have a, a unity with the divine nature of Christ. In verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they be me one, just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me. I love them and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, I don't know how many times I've read that scripture, but it's been a good many. And this last week, I was reading it again. And I thought to myself, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Father, I desire that they also, whom you 
have given me. That's you and me. And I became aware that I am a gift that God gave me to Jesus as a gift. And God has given you to Jesus as a gift. Every single one of us, he has given to Jesus as a gift. I desire that they also whom you have given me. Now, I don't know about you, but that's really hard to comprehend for me, that I would be a gift to Jesus. But that's exactly what we are. Sometimes we have problems with measuring God's love. And I have a problem with this. I mean, this is, this is difficult to actually comprehend this. But I found that, that love, it's not a feeling. I mean, there's a lot of feelings in love. Don't misunderstand me. But love is really, when it comes to God, it's not so much a feeling or an emotion. It's got to be a fact. It's got to be a fact. When problems come our way, we got to have a solid foundation on how God looks at us and how much that he loves us. He loves us more than we love ourselves. And that his desire is to live in us and through us. Now, I have heard some people say that some well-meaning Christians, that when they have problems and issues, I've heard them say, just think about what Christ has done for you on the cross. Just focus on that and let go of your rights and stuff your feelings and get back to living for God. Now, God has never, he never tells us to get over something and just get through it, just get past it. Never. His commitment is to trust him, to just trust him and go through that circumstances, whatever it may be, with him. But trusting involves communications with him, and it involves honest communications with him. And it's telling him really what you're feeling, whether you have doubts or questions or whether you believe this is all true or not. He wants you to get down there, down there in the ditch, as they say, and talk to him about it and tell him everything and every detail through your tears, through everything. Because he's been waiting for that moment. He has watched all of us try to live this life alone, on our own. He's watched it. And he's seen us fail over and over and over again. And it's when you can communicate with God is when you begin to witness freedom and healing and safety in your life. Here's, it's, it's amazing. 
that you and I are a gift from God to Jesus. What an amazing God we have. He has made himself known to you and you responded. Now he lives inside of you. He dwells in you. And now he wants to live through you in every situation in your life. He wants to live through you. Listen to what our Heavenly Father is saying to us. He says, I love you right now. I love you as much as I love my son. This is what God is saying to you as a believer. I love you as much as I love my son. God the Father is saying, do you know that because of my sin, or excuse me, because of my son, there are no records of your sins because of what he did on the cross. He gave everything. And so there's no records, there's no heavenly bookkeeping, there's none of that. He remembers them no more. The Bible says the Holy Spirit remembers them no more. It seems like the only one that's remembering them is us. It's certainly not the Godhead. God is saying to us, did you know that because of my son, you're going to heaven no matter what? No matter what, it's a done deal. Even if you are not keeping in step with me, you're going to heaven. It's a done deal. You have a perfect heart. You receive that when you were born again. Your body is giving you trouble. Yes, sin that dwells in has given us problems. In Corinthians, the Bible says that he will not hold our sins against us. And so he's saying, even if you're not in step with me 100% of the time, you're going to be there. I guarantee it. I promised you. Because, see, it's not a reward for you keeping in step. It is a gift. It is a gift from me to you. You're going to be there. It's a done deal. And then Father says, I want you to know that bad circumstances, they are in no way, because bad things happen, they are no way of me getting back at you because you were disobedient, because you didn't pay your tithe, because you didn't do Bible study, because you didn't do this. No. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And here God has given us the reassurance that even though bad circumstances may come your way, I'm going to go through it with you. I'm going to go through it with you. And then the Father is saying, what if I tell all you Christians? It isn't about your self-effort. It has nothing to do with nothing. It's about us living in you, living through you, that determines your Christian life. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all the blessings that you've given to us. We're thankful, Lord, that you have given us as a gift to Jesus Christ. 
We're thankful that you have made all sorts of promises to us. And we know that every one of them are true. And now we just rejoice because they are true. And help us every day to renew our minds about how true these things really are. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. You'll be with us all the way through to the end. Through hardship, through trials, through tribulations, through difficult circumstances, you have committed and guaranteed us that you will be with us through them all. And we praise you and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all of the things that you have already done. And I just pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll help each and every one of us to enjoy those wonderful blessings that you have so abundantly given. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.